This is the Ask a Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zip, Senior Editor of Solar Power World. So in light of our call to solar installers, developers, and EPCs to apply for our 2018 top solar contractors list, I thought it made sense to speak to one for this edition. And not unlike the construction field as a whole, solar installation is a male-dominated industry. Out of 500 companies that made the list last year, only 23 were led by women. And so Michelle Greenfield is one of them. She has served as CEO of Ohio-based Third Sun Solar for more than 16 years. So I'm really excited to hear what it's like to be a female leader in a male-dominated industry working in a state that isn't exactly the first one that comes to mind when you think of solar. So, Michelle, I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you so much. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So, I'm always excited to get to talk to a, a local installer and, and solar company since I'm actually based out of Cleveland. I went to Kent State, and I see that you went to Miami and OU, it's Ohio University, and you got your undergrad in business management, and you got your master's in international studies and economic development. So I'm wondering, what were you kind of looking to do at the time that you were in school with those credentials? You correctly said I'm an Ohio-based person. I was born and raised in Ohio, went to college and grad school there, went to undergrad for business because my father was an entrepreneur, and I liked watching him in his business and how things work that way. So I thought I would go into business. And then I realized that I really wanted to use business knowledge and my business mind for something for good, what I considered good of the society, good for the community, good for the planet. So I always had this idea that I would come out of business school and not probably not work for a big bank or a big Fortune 500 corporation that I would do something else. And I began working for nonprofit organizations. And then in grad school, I w- my idea was that I would take that business knowledge to developing countries and work with women entrepreneurs, microenterprise development. So that was, that was the idea behind my education. And when I finished grad school, didn't really have much opportunity overseas at that point. But I found opportunity locally in Ohio, and I worked with a nonprofit organization with what we would consider micro-entrepreneurs in the Athens County and Appalachian region. So I, I managed a small loan fund and did uh, business consulting for small, very small, mostly mom-and-pop type businesses. That's really cool, because I did see on your LinkedIn that you kind of did some financial work, but I had no idea it was in that environment. So that's really neat. You probably saw a lot of people really get their start and and businesses take off. That must have been like a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, it was really interesting. We had a wide variety of businesses from, you know, house cleaning businesses to I had a guy who raised worms for for use in fishing and use at the state parks. And it was Worms are us. It was interesting. <laughs> That's very cool. So actually, you got to you know see a lot of people start their own businesses before you started your own. I read that you actually got the idea to start Third Sun Solar when you were actually at a point where you were building your home, right? Is that is that kind of when you were first introduced into solar? Yeah. At, at the time, my husband and I had both finished grad school at the same time, and we both were working in Athens County. And we had the opportunity to buy some land 
and decided to build our own house on it. And that land did not have electricity to it yet. It's out in the rural area. And so we were faced with the decision of paying American Electric Power a bunch of money to bring the poles in. And then we would have had a very high minimum bill per month, you know, in order to be connected. Or we had seen solar power working. We lived on the West Coast for a little bit and had seen solar power working there and thought, well, that would be really cool to do this house off grid. And so we built our house and moved in with 600 watts of solar (laughs) to power the entire house, Mm -hmm. which is a very, very small array, a very small off-grid array. We used to turn our inverter off every night before we went to bed to make sure that we weren't drawing any phantom loads or any electricity at all because we had to really conserve a lot, especially in the winter. So Um, if you got up in the middle of the night, you didn't have any lights? (laughs) No, we didn't. We used flashlights. (laughs) We didn't have a dryer. We, We eventually got a washer after we had kids and we needed to wash diapers and things. But we hung all of our clothes and we conserved electricity. I mean, we were super close to the seasons in that, you know, a lot of times in the winter, we'd have very short days with very little sun. So we didn't vacuum as much or we waited to do laundry until it was a sunny day. That's really cool. It really made you conscious of your power use and appreciate when you did have power and you could do those things. Yeah. Eventually, we grew that system as we lived there and as, as our two kids got bigger and we started our business and it was based in the house. So we definitely needed power for computers and phones and things. So we ended up, I think, getting up to about a four or five KW system to power the whole house. So when was that point? At what point were you like, okay, maybe we need to start a solar company ourselves? We moved into our house in 1997 and really that that system that we did on our house was our first system. People were asking my husband, who is, he's the one that does the wiring and the design and and all that to help them and to either help them fix their old systems or how could we do the same kind of thing. And at that point, Jeff decided, well, I think I want to try this as a business. And so with his technical skills, And my business background, we decided to sort of make the leap into starting our own business. And I I said, let's give it a year and see if we can manage to feed the kids and pay the mortgage and make it on this. And that was 16 or 17 years ago. So we did it. (laughs) We're still doing it. I think that's so great. And I I like the story I read in in an article about how you were were working in your attic and you actually uh, partnered with Ohio University with OU. Yeah, Ohio University has a small business development center, which I had known about through my work with the other small businesses. I often referred people to them for help on their business plans or business counseling. And so here we are in our own business and we went to them and asked for some help for some, you know, business counseling in there. They often would put together groups of students, either undergrad or grad students in business, in their business school that would do kind of case study work with local businesses. And we had a group of those college students come over to our house one time to talk about our business. And we were all stuck in this very small space in an attic or in our loft. And and they said, isn't it hard to do your business from here? Isn't it hard to work from the space? And we looked around and thought, yeah, it is kind of (laughs) hard. So (laughs) that's when we decided to move out to the business incubator at Ohio University called the Innovation Center. And we rented our first office there. And we were there for, I want to say, eight years. 
we grew over that time. We were able to add employees. We were able to add warehouse space. And it was, it was just a really wonderful partnership, a, a flexible space that enabled us to see that we could grow with personnel, with, with supplies, and then grow our, our customer base. A great resource. Where did the name Third Sun Solar come from? It came from the fact that we have two sons. We have two boys. And after they were born and we were starting this business, I jokingly said, I think over a glass of wine one night with Jeff, I said, this is going to be like our third son. This is going to be like our next baby (laughs) that we have to take care of and nurture to grow. And we just kind of changed it from (laughs) S-O-N-S-U-N. I love that. That's so perfect. (laughs) So this was in the early 2000s and solar was kind of just starting to enter the mainstream market, especially on the West Coast. And on top of that, you're in Ohio, which even today isn't the strongest solar market compared to some of the stuff that's going on out West. So what opportunity did you see at that time? And how did you kind of navigate through those market challenges to grow to where you are today, which is installing in 14 states? Yeah, you're right. So very early on, it was very different than it is now. It was a lot of people who had off-grid cabins or out in the woods, and they just wanted to power some lighting or a water pump. And and that was even before we had net metering laws. We weren't even able to net meter. And then when net metering came along, there was a, a foundation that we partnered with that was installing small solar arrays all over Ohio on public schools. And we were the installer for many of those, probably over 40 schools. We installed small solar arrays, grid tied, and then we would tie them in with curriculum for the students. And there was always a big ribbon cutting and a celebration of the, of the solar array. So we were able to get a lot of experience working on the ground in various communities around the state. And then as people saw that, And as people became more interested, kind of the early adopters, we started to do some more residential system. For a while, Ohio did have an incentive. It did have a grant program. And that we saw a boost there. But then that left and it was gone, (laughs) the way of incentives. And so we joke about having been on the roller coaster for 18 years, the solar coaster, the ups and downs. And we were just able to to keep things going. One opportunity would leave and another would, would emerge. And we're very motivated. Our unofficial mission is to install as much solar as possible, as fast as we can. And we just keep abiding by that and finding new opportunities. I, I'm sure that maybe that diversifying in so many states kind of helps too. So when the markets aren't very strong, you, you can kind of move to a different market that maybe is picking up. Yeah, we did a lot of work in Kentucky for a couple of years when there was incentive, but then there was also a movement by the National Guard to do a bunch of solar on their National Guard units and bases, and we worked with them on that. We've worked in Indiana on some community solar stuff. We've worked in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Obviously, those are the states right around us. And then we have, for example, one customer that had a site in Florida and a site in Texas that we did installations from far away. Those are some pretty cool projects. I also read that we don't have very expensive electricity prices in in Ohio in the Midwest, but I read that you said that grid parity came for Ohio in 2015. And I was just wondering, are we really there or, you know, will we remain there considering the tariffs and how maybe things have changed the last couple of years? Yeah, I think in some markets in Ohio, we may have been at grid parity or we were just close enough that 
what we've seen happen is the early adopters are not the only ones now buying solar. The residential continues to grow because it has become more mainstream. People are seeing it more often in their neighborhoods. The price is close enough to the utility price that people that have always wished they could do solar, but it was too expensive, it's tipping them into the market. So it might not be a complete parity, but it's close enough that more people want to are getting into it. We we did the most residential solar installations in our entire history yet last year. Wow. So people think it's not as risky anymore. And also, you know, if you can work with a company that's been doing it for 18 years, there's a little bit more trust there. So I don't know what's going to happen exactly with the tariffs. We knew that that was coming. It was been on our radar for a couple of years. We've been watching the whole thing and we have tried to hedge against the the price increases by doing some pre-purchasing and kind of stocking up on the older prices on panels, but those will not last forever. So (laughs) we're going to, we're all going to be hit with it. Yeah. I'm getting that a lot from people. We try to take some steps to accommodate for those, but nobody really knows what the effects are going to be until time passes. Yeah. Given your background in financing and so much involvement with starting up businesses, Do you have any advice for contractors in that area, whether it's financial advice or just business advice that you've learned from your experience? Probably have a lot. (laughs) But the first thing that comes to mind is don't be scared to hire your first employees and entrust them with their jobs. I think that Jeff and I were, you know, we were mom and pop and we wanted to do everything ourselves. And when we started adding quality people, we saw that, oh my gosh, there's this this exponential increase in knowledge and increase in activity. And there's some really, really smart people out there that want to work for a really cool company. And so we have 35 employees right now. And we we have some very long-term employees too. I just gave five, I think it was five different commemorative things to people that have been with us for longer than 10 years at our holiday party last year. So the people are key in your business. And obviously, Jeff and I would not be where we are without our team. And so really not being worried or scared to to bring in a team to help you do what you're doing. The other thing is partnering and trusted advisors. From the beginning, working with OU, working with the students there, working with, you know, lawyers or accountants or business consultants, or we, we have we don't have a full-time CFO, but we have some fractional CFOs that we use at times has also been really key. That's excellent advice. So kind of getting back to the Midwest market, I'm just interested how you're seeing different segments grow. How does the residential market compare with commercial solar markets in the Midwest? You know, Is there any storage or community solar? So like I said before, the residential really continues to grow. I think that people are seeing it more as a mainstream product. It's proven itself and the price has come down so much that it's not as expensive. So we see that continuing to happen. Commercial is is much more about the economics. It's it's less about the perception and, you know, the psychology, but it's much more about the financial payback and the economics. So it's a little bit harder a longer lead time to work on commercial projects and a smaller percentage of the ones that we actually work to to get will actually come to fruition because there's a lot more players involved. So commercial is a little, a little tough, but we still continue to do some commercial and institutional. We're working with uh, universities across the state. In fact, you said you went to Kent State University. We have a 
a large array on the field house at Kent State University that we did a few years ago. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Storage. We have people asking about storage, I think, with all the, the hype around the Tesla power walls, but we're still seeing it as a little bit harder economically because of the expense. And it's it's oftentimes cheaper for people to add a generator to their system if they want to have backup, which is kind of the reality of the situation. I think it's still a little bit more of a luxury item for residential customers to have any kind of a backup system. And then as far as community solar, we do have the Solar United Neighborhoods, Ohio Sun works in the state, and we've done a few of their co-ops. So we have cooperatives gathering together around the state and group purchasing solar. And so we've done that. We have that in Cincinnati also with the uh, Greater Cincinnati GCEA. And so that those are popping up here and there. And I think that's actually also helping drive that residential market. That's cool to hear. My coworker, Kelsey, is actually working on a story where a group buys. So it's neat that it's going on and that you've had some success with it. Yeah, yeah, we have. We've had, gosh, I think we did four or five co-ops last year. And and also in Indiana, Indiana has a few co-ops that that have popped up in Bloomington area. And then the Indiana net metering laws just changed at year end. So I'm not, I think that's going to chill the market a little bit over there. One thing we don't see in Ohio is people buying into the collective, like the solar collectives where you'll build an offsite array and people can invest in it because we don't have the utility incentive to do that. We don't have virtual net metering in Ohio, which would help that kind of a, a market along. Right. Yeah, definitely room for improvement, but there's still overall a lot more solar happening in Ohio that than people think. I mean, we, we've been connected with a nonprofit called Green Energy Ohio, and we went to some of their events, and they did a tour for us of some um, residential installations for a senior center group, which I thought was a really smart uh-huh. idea. And I was really surprised how many installations were just around driving through neighborhoods. And I saw that you actually served as a board member and past president for the organization for over a decade. Yeah, I did. Green Energy Ohio is our American Solar Energy Society chapter in Ohio. And I think it started around the year 2000. And then I served on their board and um, was president. We we actually brought the ACES conference to Cleveland one year. And the tour that GEO has put on in conjunction with the ACES solar tour in the fall has at times been one of the largest in the country. So you think about California and all the installations out there and New Jersey and other, you know, hot states, but Ohio really has a lot of solar going on from small residential to the cabin stuff to larger institutional. We just did a huge project at Denison University last year and we have solar farms. So we have the whole gamut of solar around the state. Yeah, that's really cool. I love the work they do. Do you continue to work with OU or other schools? Just because I know it's hard right now in the market to find skilled labor. And I just wondered if, you know, you're working with them to maybe get students interested in going into solar, especially since that's not in everybody's conversation or not everybody necessarily thinks about it when they're going into school. Yeah. What we see more often is people coming out of more of community colleges or trade schools that, that we would partner with. So Hawking College has a an alternative energy technology program. 
we've, we've had interns from there and we have hired some um, folks from there, usually on the installation level. Last year, we had a, an engineering student from OU who worked with us for about a year. Um, and then he moved on to an engineering firm. So we don't see as much from OU as we do from the, the smaller community colleges, but we are definitely having issues with hiring the construction team, especially electricians. There's just a, a seems to be a shortage of electricians right now and a shortage of people who are actually wanting to go out and work on site. We have a good team right now. We have, we're kind of at a good stasis where we, we know we can perform what we've got under contract right now. And whenever we grow, whenever we need to add another installation crew, it is a bit of a challenge. Yeah, we're really hearing that industry-wide. Again, my colleague Kelsey has been working on some of those skilled labor shortage stories. And I'm hoping that there seems to be kind of a, a push for trade, different vocations to come back into high schools and for people that are thinking about, you know, maybe traditional college isn't for me, you know, maybe I can have a good life and a good career in these these skilled labor jobs. Even, I mean, I've been watching this old house because I want to buy a house and I want to have some (laughs) some, some, uh, background. And they're doing a big program with that too, with, you know, getting people interested in skilled labor jobs. So I hope that maybe this next generation really consider those type of fields because the jobs are definitely there. Yeah, that is true. And then you also founded a sister company, New Resources Solutions. So can you tell me more about that? We have done a couple of projects in the past. The Kent State University project is an example where we put together financing partnerships and packages and, and, the, and the power purchase agreement to install and, and manage a system on a, like a, a school or a nonprofit. We did the Kent State University and we've done three projects in Athens County with that. And so we decided to start a company that whose main mission was to raise investment finance for for projects and then partner that finance with potential projects, mostly in the Appalachian region, with schools, universities, nonprofits. So that's new resources solutions. And we're we're raising funds right now as we speak. And we have a couple of projects on deck that those first funding round will go to build. Awesome. So I guess my last question is, again, just kind of bringing it back to being a a female CEO in a male-dominated field, do you do any work or or feel any, you know, need to um, get more women involved or talk about your field? You know, do you go to, I know SPI, I don't know if you go to SPI, but any of those, um, Mm -hmm. you know, RISE events for, you know, women in energy yeah, I, I do have to say that now it's a lot better than it used to be. I used to go to SPI and I was one of, you know, five women there. It seemed like it, there was never a line for the women's bathroom at SPI. <laughs> I wish um, it was still that way. And I know. Well, it's changed. It's still very male dominated. But I think with the increased professionalism of firms across the country, plus the entrance of a lot of solar finance companies, you are seeing more women coming in and even on the ground you see more you see more women in the trades now too and actually working as wrenches and as installers so it's definitely better than it was 15 years ago and I've been involved I always went, went to those luncheons with wise so I, I think there's still a need for the women to kind of band together and and assert that they're there <laughs> but I think it's definitely better than it used to be and it's just I think it's going to continue to improve as solar's stays as an institution and stays as a really 
a thriving and up and coming kind of industry. Well said. I thank you so much for your time, Michelle. It's been really great getting to know you, and I hope to see you at one of those lunches at SPI this year. Yeah, hopefully in Anaheim. This has been another edition of Ask a Bet. Join us each month as I, SPW editor Kathy Zip, bringing you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent a decade or more in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.